Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gigillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I am an editor here at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me, as he always does on these occasions, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. Hey there. All right, then. So we have some listener mail to start us off. Okay. This listener mail comes from Harry from the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. He says, hey, as a tabletop gamer, I have been known to generate a few random numbers via my trusty D20. However, I know computers are able to do this without tossing around an icothahedron. Just how do digital random number generators work, and are they truly random? So uh, D20, for those of you who are not uh, entrenched in the geek world as I am... uh, that is a 20-sided die. Yeah, that, uh, as it turns out, that's a far more effective tool for generating random numbers 
than a computer can be. Yeah, and uh, here's here's the basics of why that is. A, a computer follows instructions, so you have to be able to give a computer instructions in order for it to do anything. Yes. In order for you to be able to tell it to generate a number, you have to tell it how to generate that number. And it is very, very challenging to create a way to tell a computer to generate a number so that that number is truly random. And when we're talking about truly random, or it, it, it may seem that a random number generator that you might use online is random, but it's random to you and not the computer. Depending on what system they're using. Well, that, that's true. But the, a lot of the ones that I've seen for free right. are using an algorithm to determine a random number. Right. And there are a couple of different ways that computers try to generate random numbers. Okay, so in one version, the computer actually just has a table of numbers that have been pre-generated through some complex means and that the numbers themselves appear to be random because uh, it's a string of numbers that don't repeat in any sort of uh, in any sort of sequence no matter how long the the number is and we're talking about numbers that could have thousands and thousands of digits within them right i mean it's it it could be as simple as generating numbers at random and making a list and it's going down and saying okay number 375 this is the number number right. 376 this is the number but it also might it also is is likely to be using an algorithm that says okay well add 20 to this one okay add 14 to this one add 21 to that one right so you if you know where you are in the sequence you can predict what the next theoretically random number is right so if it's if it's the list version that that we were talking about before let's let's make it really simple yes. let's say you have a list of 10 numbers okay and each of those numbers is 10 digits long but the digits are apparently random yes all right so there's no like easy sequence to follow i'm with you and we have just completed uh, we've just used random number number 8 okay all right. That means that we would have random number number nine and random number number ten, and then it would go back to random number number one. So right. if you had the table in front of you, and you had you knew how many of those random numbers there were, and you knew where it was in the previous iteration of generating a random number, you would know the next quote unquote random number. Right. So the number itself may appear to be random, but you would still be able to predict what it was because you had the list. Right. Uh, so that's a problem because random numbers are used in things like encryption. So you want you want those numbers to be as true as close to true random as possible, so that it is not easy or or preferably possible to break that encryption. I think this is a good time to introduce two concepts. Okay. Uh, that would be the uh, the pseudo random number generator. Sure. And the true random number generator. Right. So. True random number generators are actually kind of easier to to explain. Yeah, I think so, too. So a true random number generator is something that can generate a random number, uh, excluding any minor 
quantum effects that you want to imagine. So let's talk about that D20. Yeah, that's an excellent example of a true random number generator. Right. When you roll that D20, theoretically, anytime you roll that D20, there should be an equal chance of any number between 1 and 20 popping up as the the eventual result. That is assuming that your D20 is uh, equally sharp on all sides and the, I mean, the edges are the exact same And the surface you're rolling on. the surface on. is on perfectly that's, flat. That's why I'm talking about eliminating is, the quantum effects. Okay. Because when, I, when I'm talking about quantum effects in this case, I'm talking about things that are so small that we can't really observe them anyway. So right. it doesn't, it, you know, it, it, if you eliminate all that and you say that with all things being equal, rolling on the same surface with a perfectly uh, intact D20, you should get a random result every time you roll it. Right, right. I have a couple D20s that look like a dog chewed on them Yeah, so they got so well used. And in so those cases, there might be some so numbers that might roll up more often than others just because of the shape of that D20. Exactly. But a true random number generator would not give any preference to any particular result. Right. Uh, pseudo-random number generators are different. Yes. They well, we've already been talking about pseudo-random number generators, which yeah. is the, the, the number generators that are using the algorithms or a, a predetermined list of numbers that uh, that are being used to, to theoretically generate yeah. a random number. Now, the, the, the algorithms use something called a seed. Yes. And a seed is a predetermined figure that gets plugged into the algorithm that helps generate the seemingly random numbers. But if you know what the seed is, then theoretically you can eventually determine what the algorithm is and then break the encryption. Now, mm-hmm. this is this is not as easy as I'm making it sound. It's not like this is a, a trivial task. No, no. It's I actually mean, incredibly difficult. Yeah, as long as, uh, I mean, if, if you have no clue what the seed is or what the algorithm is, it's, it's going to appear to you to be random. Right. It's going to seem like an impossible task to break it. Yeah. But if you were to find one of those two elements, then theoretically, over several results, you would be able to eventually derive the other. Yeah. You would e- either be able to derive the seed or you'd be able to derive the algorithm. And again, this is... It, it's not easy, but it is theoretically, at any rate, possible, which is why you want to get as close to a true random number generator as possible, because then you can't predict it. Right. Because it is random. Now, what I think is interesting is the way, again, we're talking about when you get back to the computers, if you're, if you're doing the, the pseudo-random number generator, that's a lot easier. Yes. Because that's something you can do within the realm of computing. Yes, and, and there are quite a few, uh, as I have found out, pseudo-random number generators available online. You can you can say, hey, I need a, a random number, and you can go find a website somewhere that will give you something that appears to be a completely random number. Yeah, and it's... Um it's a really efficient system. I mean, it, it doesn't take long at all for a pseudo-random number generator to come up with a number. Oh, yeah. Uh, true random number generators tend to take longer to, to generate that number. So, uh, and when I'm saying longer, I'm talking about maybe a matter of seconds, but in computing terms, that's an eternity. Yeah, that's true. Um, now, you would want a true number, random number generator for, for certain tasks like, uh, like a lottery. Mm-hmm. You don't want people to be able to predict your lottery. Um, that would be bad because then it would no longer be a gamble. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, th- those are uh, those are the machines that they use to pull the ping pong balls out of or yeah. true random number. Generators. Exactly. So, again, assuming all the ping pong balls are in the same this, shape and blah, blah, blah. And they're on the same weights. Exactly. Uh, but things like random sampling, if you wanted mm-hmm. to do if you wanted to do true random sampling and I can give you an example of where this would be really important. Excellent. Uh, airports. Yes. So in an airport security line, you know, supposedly the airport security are, are going to single out people for random screening. That's right. Now, to make that truly a random event where it's not based upon anyone's appearance, you know, you, you want to take all of that out because you don't want to do the profiling thing because that has its own set of, of problems. If you're truly random, you need to have a system that's going to just tell you a, a really random result, like, say, the third person – the the, the third person to go through the line next, that'll be someone you single out. And then seventh will be the next one or whatever. But you would want a true random number generator to come up with that so that you could show that there was no preference. There was no bias right. that went into that sample. Plus, uh, it makes it a little more frightening for someone who might be thinking about trying something is the idea that you might be selected completely at random. Right. For a check, like yeah, it doesn't matter how "quote unquote" normal you look, exactly, or, or uh, unassuming you look, you could still be picked. Indeed. Um, whereas with a, a pseudo random number generator, you might want that for something like if you're uh, doing some sort of simulation, mm-hmm. because. It's going to be much more efficient, and a lot of when we're talking simulation, we're talking about simulation of complex systems, mm-hmm. like let's say atmospheric systems. That's right. incredibly complex, and if you were to rely on true random number generators to generate the the numbers you need to run that simulation, it would not be nearly as responsive as what you would need to to get a true simulation. Mm-hmm. True simulation is kind of a oxymoron, but kind of is yes. <laughs> at any rate. Um, but there's some really cool ways that uh, various organizations and, and, and mathematicians have come up with to try and, and create as random a number generator as possible using computers. Yes, I figured, since you just mentioned it, the use of uh, atmospheric noise uh, right. would be a good place to start in that. That's, yeah. uh, random.org is a great resource as far as uh, putting this podcast together. And uh, Yes, yes, definitely. Um, that's, that's how they... Uh, Try to generate random numbers. Right. So let's say let's say that what they do is it's a combination of the pseudo random number generator and the true random number generator method. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they use observations of atmospheric phenomena to generate a random number, mm-hmm. and um, and they do that by putting it through. I suppose it's like putting it through an algorithm. Yes. But at any rate, the, they. Depending on what's going on in the atmosphere at any given moment, that's what's going to generate that random number. Uh, now, now we start to enter a philosophical debate, right, about whether or not that atmospheric conditions are truly random. And the reason why there's a debate is that there's still a debate on is everything deterministic, meaning that things happen and those things cause other things to happen and those things cause other things to happen. And if you know the whole system, you can predict everything that's going to happen. Right. Versus non-deterministic, which allows for random occurrences. Fish. Still, not not applicable. <laughs> yeah, see, I knew that was going to happen, so that that's was surreal. That's not random. Good point. Um, so, <laughs> now, in a deterministic system, what you could argue is that the conditions of the atmosphere are in fact predictable if you know all the factors that are going into making that condition. But like, that's 
if there is a low pressure system, you could say, well, you know, there is a good possibility that it is going to rain today. Right. And so I, by that, I could say it is more likely to rain than not rain because the pressure is low. Right. So there are, thing, there are factors taken into account. But what about the smog in the area? And yeah. Or whether there is dust from or any uh, interference from electromagnetic radiation. Exactly. Or, These um, things can factor into it to... Uh, to change the probability that something will happen. That's why we're talking about these incredibly complex systems. Now, if there were some way for you to know all the factors that were going into making the atmosphere behave in a, a particular way at any particular time, mm-hmm. you could no longer say that that was a random number. Yes. It's almost just an academic argument because there's no way you can know all those factors. It's right. just too complex. And especially if you start to pull in things like chaos theory. Yes. Now, if you've heard of chaos theory, you know that chaos theory states that very small events can contribute to enormous events. And the thought experiment that is always referred to is that a butterfly flaps its wings and John Travolta gets a movie. No, I'm sorry. A tsunami wipes out some city somewhere right across the world so the wind uh, generated the, the tiny little movement of air molecules generated by that butterfly's wings flapping in Brazil sets off a chain of events that ultimately leads to a catastrophically huge weather phenomena somewhere across the globe uh, and of course not like not like instantaneously not I'm not suggesting that Brazilians go out and massacre butterflies but Rather that these tiny events are what contribute to enormous events. So right. in that sense, anything that's going on in the atmosphere at any given time is uh, is the product of so many different tiny factors that it's mind-boggling. Right, right. So that uh, it, it's it's so complex essentially then that while it is not it, that it is essentially random. Right. It may or may not be truly random, but one, we are not capable of knowing that right. because it's so complex. And two, it doesn't matter because we're not capable of knowing that. Right. So even if even if you were to somehow philosophically argue that it's not truly random, it's as close to truly random as it needs to be or in order for us to go ahead and say, you know, it's just an academic argument. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and that's not the only the, – the atmos- the, observing the atmosphere is not the only method that people have used to try and generate a random number no not at all and it's um and as a matter of fact the one i think you were thinking of would be uh the quantum mechanics version of determining random numbers that one's that one's a cool one it's a really cool idea uh and we're talking about by using particles that are smaller than an atom to determine yeah. uh, the the randomness of an event, or in this case, generate random numbers. Yeah, the, we're talking here about uh, these quantum particles are behaving in a way that we cannot predict at this time. Yes. Now, again, this could mean that either the quantum particles behave in a truly random fashion, or it may mean that we don't understand them well enough to be able to recognize the patterns or a uh, series of events that are going on. Mm-hmm. Or it may be that we are, we just don't have the, the, the instruments capable of measuring that. So it may be that the behavior is in fact predictable if we have enough information and sensitive enough uh, 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 instruments. True. But as it stands right now, it appears to be completely random. So if you base a random number generator off of quantum events, then you would get results that to us 
appear to be completely random. Yes. And you could generate enormous numbers. I mean, numbers that are, are so big that, you know, you you would if you were to try and write one down on a sheet of paper it would take up the entire sheet. Yeah. And and it would have no apparent repeating integers at all as you're mm-hmm. going through there. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, uh, Hotbits actually is a website, um, a project from a uh, an organization in Switzerland, uh, Formulab, and uh, they have connected a Geiger-Muller tube to a computer to basically, uh, they're drag racing decaying atoms. Right, because atoms decay at an unpredictable rate. Right. So that so by measuring the decay rate, uh, that can in turn generate a random number. Yeah, they take two. They take a pair of decaying atoms, and uh, basically, when when uh, when one of them decays and and releases particles, then uh, that helps them generate random numbers and. Um, Pretty amazing stuff, really, to to be measuring that and to be using that for a number. But the thing is, it as as Jonathan mentioned earlier, it is not something that happens very quickly. You have to submit uh, a series of numbers. You say, I want fifty six random numbers, and they have to be no larger than you know forty three digits long, mm-hmm. and things like that. You have to you have to program this in in advance, and they will return a set of numbers to you, but it will not happen instantaneously. Now, do you know what my favorite uh, version f- favorite way of generating random numbers is? What's that? My favorite one was a project, and unfortunately, I don't have the name in front of me. But my favorite one was a project where it was y- using a webcam pointed at a lava lamp. And by measuring the shapes of the lava, quote unquote, in the lava lamp, it generated random numbers. So the really? yes, as the lava lamp, as the the wax inside the lava lamp changed shape, the webcam would measure that. You know, it'd get an image of it, and it would be uh, analyzed by the computer to create a random number. And because the shape was constantly changing. Uh, you could generate random numbers at any given time. And I love that. The simplicity and the elegance of it is amazing. Oh, yes. So you've got it in front of you. Yes. I don't have my glasses on, so I can't read it. Uh, lava, <laughs> lava Rand? Lava Rand, yes. L-A-V-A-R-N-D. Now, that project is still still exists, although they are no longer generating random numbers based off lava lamps, as uh, far as I understand. <laughs> That's pretty neat, though. I had never heard of it before now. It's so. a neat, neat concept. I thought that was, you know, again, uh, mathematicians are wacky, crazy, awesome people. And we're talking about like mathematicians who are, you know, studying math for things like number theory. Yes, stuff that's so far beyond my understanding. As the Ada Lovelace podcast uh, illustrated to great <laughs> length. Um, but it, yeah, that these are the folks who are are coming up with the various theories about how to generate random numbers, if in fact it is truly possible. Yes, and I think that their work proves that our days are numbered. Well, with that, how about we move on to a little listener mail? Except this really isn't listener mail. This is a, a message that comes to us courtesy of our Facebook group. So, uh, oh, true. oh, oh Elizabeth, Elizabeth, uh, we're going to call this Facebook facts and then, uh, uh, put in, put in the sound of a hand slapping someone's face. Ow. 
So this comes from Dan. Okay, then. And Dan says, uh, says, how about Leet? A history of broken English and long forgotten keyboard keys. I would like to see how it came about. Also popular terms like pwned. Thanks. All right, Dan. So you're talking about Leet speak. Yes. Uh, Leet being short for elite. Yes. And really this kind of grew out of the bulletin board system culture. Mm-hmm. So you had on bulletin board systems, you normally had, uh, oh, not normally, you, a lot of bulletin boards had multiple um, levels of access. Yes, they did. And there might be a general access where you can log in and you can access certain things that everyone has access to. But then you might have to pay or be invited to become part of a more restricted access community. And that might get you stuff like uh, access to, to different files or mm-hmm. games or whatever. Mm-hmm. And because you're part of an inner community, you, of course, would beca- begin to develop a sense of elitism. Because yes. <laughs> that's, that's kind of how we humans work. Well, yes, we, uh, we do tend to enjoy being part of an exclusive club. Yes. And uh, when you are part of an exclusive club and you're interested in being part of an exclusive club, you might uh, try to find ways to maybe disguise what you're doing so that not everyone could find it by a simple keyword search. Right. So you start to develop your own language. And we see this across human oh, sure. societies outside of the computer realm, of course. Well, slang. I mean, yeah. you can find a slang dictionary, and, and the, the slang terms go from generation to generation. And region to region. And region to region. So you might find uh, a certain group has their own kind of a vocabulary. Well, the same thing with leet speak. Leet speak, as Chris was pointing out, part of it was to kind of obfuscate what they were talking about so that you couldn't easily find it with a search. Uh, This was particularly important if they were trying to share things like software that had been under copyright. Mm -hmm. If you had uh, uh, a copy of a program and you had cracked it so that you didn't need any kind of, uh, uh, there was no longer any DRM attached to it, there was no sort of copy protection attached to it, Mm -hmm. and you wanted to share this with all of your elite friends, but you didn't want people to figure out that you were doing something illegal, you might go through and change a few little uh, figures, a little, uh, some of the, the letters to different symbols so that, you know, you could still read it because the you know we look at it and we're like okay well that 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 uh, uh, dollar sign is supposed to stand for an S or a or three the, for an E yeah or a five for an S um, or a four for an A that kind of thing right uh, but you know if you were to search for that term it wouldn't come up because the computer doesn't know that the uh, the symbols are standing in for letters mm-hmm. uh, that that's a human thing that's one of those things that humans do really well that computers don't do well unless you go through and program a whole new database of words yeah, so, I mean anybody who's who's done the uh, sorry didn't mean no to go mind. ahead uh, anyone who's done the um, the uh, calculator thing where you type in you know certain numbers and then flip it over and realize that they look a lot like you know, the numbers actually look sort of like a word. You can spell out very few simple words using a calculator. But, um, you know, you, it's it's instantly recognizable to somebody who has a grasp of the language, which is why a lot of the words that they used gradually shifted from just using numbers in place of letters to actually being spelled differently as well. Right. Uh, so the first Leet speaks probably there for to again obfuscate what they're doing. Right. But then it kind of became a way to communicate with other leet members and to exclude uh, noobs. 
yes. the, the new folks, uh, even if you were in the public areas, because the new folks were, they, they were, it was completely foreign to them. Mm-hmm. And so if you first start looking at a page of Leet speak and you're not familiar with it, it just looks like gibberish at first glance. You, mm-hmm. you know, you actually have to take an effort to kind of say, oh, wait, that symbol probably means a U and that one looks like an S, so that's an S. You know, at a casual glance, it looks like it's meaningless, which it, it serves the purpose of the Leet group very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then they started to do other things because the, these are the same sort of folks who kind of have a mischief streak a mile wide. And um, so they began to incorporate things like common typos. Yes. Typos would become the, the – the typo version of a word would become the official version of a word, which is why you would see things like T-E-H standing in for the. Yes. So – and and you, misusing words on purpose also became very common. So mm-hmm. it, it began to develop its own grammar. Yes. So – for example, instead of uh, instead of using awesome as a, a an adjective, you'd use it as a noun and call it to awesome. That yes. is to awesome. Uh-huh. And uh, uh, things like pwned, that of course came from the typo version of owned. And you you know owning as in I owned him in this argument. I completely dominated him. Yes. By uh, showing him that he is stupid and is a poor debater, and I am awesome, and he is not, or I am too awesome, and he is not. Um, so I pwned him. And most of the leet speak is based off one of these two things, or, or a combination of the two, mm-hmm. where you substitute a letter for either a symbol or a number, something that, that resembles it physically but is not it. Or it is some sort of misspelling or typo version of the original word, mm-hmm. and um, I mean most of it can be can be pretty easily uh, translated if you if you just give yourself a little time. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes if they get really 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 complex, it gets to a point where you're like, uh, now certain symbols are standing in for entire. Um, our symbols are staying in for an entire syllable. Right. And, and then some of the others uh, who were really into lead speak also incorporated. You could also make a T out of certain lines on the keyboard, making right. it a little bit even more obfuscatory. Or, you, or couldn't, you would even you couldn't uh, tell. You'd have to really scrutinize it to go, oh, wait, those three characters are making up another letter or let's say that you wanted to use you use the ampersand yeah. to stand for the sound and okay yeah. and then you put a b in front of it so it's b ampersand and it's band right so you could say i you know don't do that you'll get band b ampersand meaning that right well if you really wanted to go even one step further you would not even use the ampersand you would use the seven yeah which of course is the same key that the ampersand is found on so b7 would stand for band mm-hmm. so now now you've gone from just replacing letters to actually creating a little minor bit of a cipher mm-hmm. um it's a pretty simple cipher uh but it can be very confusing to someone who had never encountered it before. Yep, yep. And gradually more people became uh, acquainted with it as uh, the elite people with elite skills uh, started playing games online and they would start using elite language in, in uh, the uh, communication part of the game where you would type comments along with the game. Right. Uh, you know, and could interact with the other players online. And then. Uh, from the research I did on it, apparently the uh, the comic Mega Tokyo basically made it more, even more of a popular phenomenon to to speak leet, um, yeah, you know, just to bring it out that much more in the open. Which, of course, for the people who are truly leet, 
probably drove them absolutely bonkers because suddenly they were no longer exclusive. Right. Yeah. So, and of course now it's it's pretty much just common parlance on a lot of the web. Yes. Where you know it's almost more it's almost just become a, a parody of itself, um, which is kind of funny because it was already sort of a parody. Yeah. At any rate, that's pretty much the lowdown on Leet Speak and uh, and and why people type funny. Yep. Uh, if you have any questions that you would like to pose to the Tech Stuff group, the group being me, Chris, um, you can do so at our email address, which is techstuff at howstuffworks.com. Or like Dan, you can leave us a message on our Facebook group because we are checking that every day. Or you can uh, contact us on our Twitter handle and you'll hear all that information at our handy dandy postscript announcement done by our very own Chris Paulette. Hey, then. In the meantime, I hope you guys enjoyed this show, and we will talk to you again really soon. If you're a Tech Stuff fan, be sure to check us out on Twitter. Tech Stuff HSW is our handle, and you can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash techstuffhsw. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. And be sure to check out the new Tech Stuff blog, now on the HowStuffWorks homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... (laughs) Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.